Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Monday, April 10th. The Sitka Sound Commercial Sacro herring fishery is continuing to make progress despite widespread spawning in the area. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game announced that over 2,100 tons of herring were landed by saners on Wednesday, bringing the total harvest to 7,200 tons. Fishing was also open Thursday at 11.15 a.m. Despite successful fishing over the last week, saners are still far below this year's guideline harvest level of over 30,000 tons. Meanwhile, the spawn is ongoing. Aerial surveys by department biologists recorded over five nautical miles of spawn Thursday, bringing the total cumulative spawn estimate to nearly 58 nautical miles. Most of the active spawning is occurring in the vicinity of Hayward Strait and Middle Island, while smaller areas of spawn have been observed in St. John the Baptist Bay and Hot Springs Bay. Additionally, very large schools of herring have been found between Hot Springs Bay and Frosty Reef and in the mouth of Windy Passage. (laughs) Petersburg voters will be able to choose whether to adopt an ordinance that will give borough employees more flexibility to serve on different boards. Last Monday, Assembly members unanimously passed the ordinance in its final reading. The ordinance would allow anybody who works for the borough, which includes employees of Petersburg's Medical Center and School District, to serve on certain boards and commissions. But it wouldn't allow these employees to serve in any role that would directly oversee their own employment. For example, a borough employee could serve on the school board, but would not be allowed to run for Assembly. Unlike the latest reading, the last two readings were not unanimous. Assemblymember Donna Marsh was the sole holdout. In the second reading, Marsh says she wasn't comfortable with the possibility that the ordinance could put an employee in a situation where they couldn't make a fair decision, but she changed her mind after receiving mixed feedback from the community. So in the last few weeks, I have studied and contemplated and, and surveyed people friends and acquaintances and people across counters when I go conduct business with them. And it's been an almost even split. I am going to vote in favor of this so that the people themselves, the voters of Petersburg, have the opportunity to have a final say. Tony Vinson is an employee of the Petersburg Medical Center. He tried to run for the borough assembly last year, but was excluded due to a rule that prevents PMC employees from serving on any borough boards or commissions. In his public testimony at last week's assembly meeting, Vinson asked the community to reconsider this rule. We're a population of 3,000. I just feel like we just don't have much of a pool to choose from to begin with. And to diminish that pool just seems like an injustice. Petersburg voters will have the opportunity to choose whether or not to adopt this ordinance on October 3rd. The next assembly meeting is scheduled for 6 p.m. April 17th and will take place in assembly chambers. Two conservation groups are suing the Environmental Protection Agency over its alleged failure to finalize standards to protect U.S. waterways from harmful vessel discharges, including those from cruise ships. In a complaint filed in February, Friends of the Earth and the Center for Biological Diversity say that the 2018 Vessel Incidental Discharge Act required the EPA to develop standards for discharges from ships. The lawsuit seeks an injunction that would require the EPA to issue those rules. Much of the lawsuit focuses on the ballast water that ships take on to provide stability. Friends of the Earth Oceans and Vessel Program Director Marcy Kiever 
says that when ships take on water in one place and discharge it in another, that can help spread invasive species and diseases. Unless you have treatment to a level with which gets rid of these invasive species, when your you know ship exchanges ballast water, you know it's it's an incredible risk. Um, you know just from invasive species alone, let alone the pathogens you might encounter um, from ships coming from all over the world into our waters. An EPA spokesperson declined to comment on the pending litigation. In their lawsuit, the conservation groups say invasive species alone cause more than nine billion dollars in damage each year to infrastructure for public water supplies, industry, and power plants. But ballast water is only one focus of the lawsuit. Kiever says the groups are also concerned about discharges from scrubbers that reduce ships' air pollution. The biggest rise in um, wastewater pollution that we've seen over the last several years is um, exhaust gas scrubber wastewater, um, which is, you know, basically um, the um, wastewater generated when you use um, a wet scrubber to scrub your smokestack to comply with international rules for cleaner fuel. A Coast Alaska investigation published last year uncovered dozens of reports from independent cruise ship monitors alerting state authorities to foamy discharges from ships operated by Carnival Corporation and subsidiaries like Holland America and Princess. Kiever says those discharges can harm marine life and those that depend on it for sustenance. So essentially what they've done is converted air pollution into water pollution. Lawyers for the conservation groups and the EPA are due to appear before U.S. District Judge William Oreck in the Northern District of California mid-May. Pacific Northwest ports and major cruise lines are teaming up to examine how to reduce the carbon footprint of the Alaska cruise circuit. The cruise lines are beginning to test different fueling options, everything from hydrogen to methanol, biodiesel, and LNG, or liquefied natural gas. However, none of those are available in sufficient volume at ports like Seattle, Vancouver, BC, and Juneau. Jessica John is a vice president at Norwegian Cruise Line. And when we talk to fuel producers, what we hear all the time is not that they're not willing to invest, but they need to know that there is demand, right, before they know what where to head in terms of their investment. And then when you talk to the customers, they say the same thing. Well, we can't make a decision because we need to know where the fuel supply is going to be for us to make a commitment. John spoke during a webinar last Thursday convened to rally so-called first movers to back a cruise industry-led Pacific Northwest to Alaska Green Corridor. The group's next step is a feasibility plan focused on ship fuel options and adding more shore power plugins. Apiak Reitan is the first openly trans musher to run the Iditarod. Her documentary about the experience had its Alaska debut in Juneau. Yvonne Crumery has more from Juneau. The film has a solitary vibe. It shows Apayak Raytan preparing for the race and her send-off in Anchorage, with a large trans pride flag flying from her sled. Then it turns inward, mostly showing her speaking into the camera as she races through wide-open landscapes. When she's just over 100 miles from the finish in Nome, she yells she's excited to see her dad. 
is kind of the reason why I'm able to do this. But it's supported by that machine and uh, it's also very supportive of the traps. The mood at the screening is defiant. It's Transgender Day of Visibility, and earlier in the day, someone posted anti-trans signs in public places around Juneau. And the day before, Raytan had joined many other Alaskans in testifying against Governor Mike Dunleavy's parental rights bill. Among other things, the legislation would require parental permission for Alaska students to take sex ed or to use different names and pronouns in schools. It would even apply to students who want to go to clubs that support LGBTQ plus identities. We were never presented as human beings. I never saw girls like me. By the time I was realizing I'm trans by researching online, I had already gone through a testosterone puberty, which I wish I would have learned about trans people before that happened. Raytan grew up in Norway and Alaska, and she's been mushing since she was four years old. That's how old she was when she first knew she was a girl. She learned the sport from her father, and she completed the Iditarod back in 2019 before coming out as transgender. She said she's happy with the response her film has gotten from other trans people so far, and she hopes to increase the representation of trans women that younger people can see themselves in. We're also like being talked about all the time. So it's... <laughs> um, our existence is like undeniable. But I think all of the legislative attacks on us is going to end. In the meantime, Raytan hopes that trans kids can hang on if they live in a state or a family situation where it feels impossible to come out. If you can make it to adulthood, then you can transition later. And you can be okay. And it's gone well for a lot of us. The documentary that shows just how well it's gone for Ray Tan isn't available online yet. It's still making the film festival circuits. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. The island mountains and valleys of Alaska's panhandle may look unchanging, but the area is moving rapidly in a geologic sense. In Wrangell, Sage Smiley sat down with a research geologist from the U.S. Geological Survey to talk about the rocky history of Southeast. On board. Geologist Peter Hoisler peeks his head out of a cabin hatch on his 45-foot aluminum-hold sailing boat, the Mucho Gusto. It's home-ported in Wrangell. The dog's name is Happy. Hi, Happy. Hoisler lives in Anchorage, but has spent three decades researching the rocks of Southeast. I think the fascinating part of geology is that you end up looking at the landscape in the world through a very different set of eyeglasses uh, than I think a lot of other people do. <laughs> and that set of eyeglasses is what Hoysler calls deep time, events on a scale that dwarfs human lifetimes or even civilizations. You know, I think it's really easy for people to think a, about time in terms that, that we know and we experience, which is, you know, it's spring now and, you know, getting over winter it's going to be warm in the summer. Human time spans pale in comparison to geologic ones, Hoysler says. He says to really understand geology, you've got to think not in terms of tens or hundreds of years, but thousands to millions of years. When looking at, say, some of the older rocks in southeast Alaska, I mean, it seems as if uh, most of southeast Alaska is a piece that came from somewhere else and trying to think about the 
probably warm tropical environments that it came from on the order of 400 million years ago, and it was out in the middle of the ocean. Pretty different. <laughs> Southeast Alaska, Hoysler says, is geologically unique. The region's history is less as a part of a huge landmass experiencing slow continental drift, but as a smaller, more mobile chunk of crust. Think of island areas like the South Pacific or around Japan. What's now southeast Alaska, called the Alexander Terrain by geologists, probably started out near the equator. At least that's as far back as geologists have any idea, based on fossils here. Offshore, there's a fault called the Queen Charlotte Fairweather Fault. Hoysler says it's similar to the better-known San Andreas Fault along the west coast, but it's more active. And in some ways, the Queen Charlotte is like the San Andreas, but it's on steroids. It moves a lot faster. It's exceedingly sharp. It's produced more big earthquakes in a shorter period of time. So it's a, it's a very impressive fault system. The Queen Charlotte Fairweather Fault is a strike-slip fault where two tectonic plates are moving past each other in opposite directions. It's moving at a whopping 5.3 centimeters per year, the length of a small lime. But compared to the San Andreas Fault moving about two-thirds that distance each year, maybe the length of a grape, it's quite quick. Hoysler says fast faults tend to produce more and bigger earthquakes. The fault is visible north of Icy Point in Glacier Bay National Park. That's where the fault runs on land, while the rest of it is underwater. If you're on an Alaska Airlines flight from Juneau to Anchorage and it's a clear day, you can see that fault as this giant groove through the landscape because it's moving. The glacial history of Southeast is also unique. With tons and tons of ice sitting on top of what's now the inside passage, the land got forced down, while on the outer coast, it buckled upwards. Maybe it's a little bit like, you know, I don't know if you had like a, a fat uncle that sat next to you on the couch when you were a kid, but the ice sheet was a little bit like the fat uncle that it sort of sat down on things. And then if you were in, you know, next to him on the couch, then you're about to be flipped up in the air because... Uh, you know, things things go up at the other part of the, the weight. So then when the uncle gets up off the couch, then you go back down. Hoysler says now that the glaciers have retreated significantly back onto the mainland, the Earth's crust is rebounding. Sites that used to be shoreline near Wrangell are now hundreds of feet in the air, while ancient coastlines on the outer coast are slowly sinking. While Southeast residents can't usually sit and watch rocks move, there are consequences for communities living in geologically tumultuous zones. For example, the fast-moving Queen Charlotte Fairweather Fault poses major potential seismic hazards to people living in Southeast. You know, you're really close to it, and ground motions from something like that are something that need to be considered in, you know, in building buildings, that kind of thing. But it's not just the earthquakes that are a potential hazard. Hoysler points to a 1958 earthquake on the Fairweather Fault. It's maybe most famous for causing a rockfall in Latuya Bay, which hit the water and created a mega tsunami. That is still the world's highest world record tsunami run-up that went 1,740 feet, splashed up that hillside and out the bay. Hoysler says work like his goes toward mitigating hazards through things like seismic hazard maps, which help dictate where and to what standard new construction happens. He says in presenting his work to the public, his goal is to give people a better sense for how the geologic world around us got to where it is today and to leave people with a sense of wonder about the epic history of the earth right in their own communities. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. And for KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Coming up, local and marine weather.